you doing today, Internet? It's Enrique Gutierrez here, the host of Know Your Crypto. Today we're going to be talking a few things about the winners and losers in the crypto space and bringing you a special interview from Alex Maschioli, CEO and founder of Quantrek. He'll be interviewed by Nick Mancini here very shortly. Before we get started on that, let's talk about Litecoin. Happy birthday, one of the winners in our bucket. Eight years, eight years old. That's right, that's an ancient crypto. In crypto terms, there's very few that are older than eight years, one of them obviously being Bitcoin. But Litecoin is still viewed as a solid alternative to Bitcoin that's more affordable in places that actually need an escape from their government-controlled, overinflated, horribly dilutable, really bad, counterfeitable, and just garbage fiat currencies. Whatever, we're not gonna get down that road though. That's philosophical and really bit heavy. But anyways, Litecoin is eight years old. And they breached a milestone on their eighth birthday, obviously. Actually, they did it a while ago. But it's really worth noting, half a trillion dollars in total transactions to date. That's a lot of money. So, money in and out of the door on the Litecoin side is a half a trillion dollars. That's 500 billion, for those of you actually really bad at math, or if you will, 500,000 millions. Whatever, though. Another winner, the Bermuda government, for adopting USDC as an alternative payment form for taxes. That's right. As long as governments can accept crypto for tax payments, they're all about it. But the second that it becomes a problem for their own corrupt fiat currency, never mind, I'm not going to get into that again, sorry. There's a tangent that I have in my head about the government control of fiat currency, and I just want to get it out, but today is not the day for that. We're going to talk about Libra, one of the top losers of the week. At this point, it's probably no mystery to everybody that Visa, MasterCard, eBay, my dog walker's cousin's third roommate twice removed, everybody's pulling out of this thing. And honest to God, I mean, it's just one of those things. Like Mark Zuckerberg isn't exactly the best person to try to give the keys to a, a currency to, because um, he just can't be trusted. I mean, the lizard mask is even falling off. At this point, like any assumption you have around how evil Mark Zuckerberg can be in terms of the way he views people, imagination running wild is probably true. And that's unfortunate because he has this stage if Mark Zuckerberg were able to have the trust and the value of the individuals that are inside of the platform, like if we trusted him, those users of us on the Facebook, we're talking about us 40-somethings who like to share despicable meme-memes everywhere and cats and margarita Mai Tai things on the beach. Like those people, if we trusted you, Mark, then Libra would be amazing because it would be able to take on governments at scale. Right? The number of users that are inside of Facebook basically makes it one of the largest, if not the biggest, sovereign nation on the planet. And if it had its own currency, well then, what would we need the euro for? So, Libra would have been awesome had Mark Zuckerberg not still been the CEO of Facebook. That's just what I'm saying. Another big loser this week, CIS. 2017 CIS attendance was amazing. The number of people in the expo hall was like just ridiculous. I wasn't there, I just looked at photos. I came last year where it was a ghost town to me and this year it's even worse. We have maximum capitulation on the attendance for CIS to the point where I got in for free, right? And I'm a nobody. Okay, I'm not a nobody. I am somebody in the crypto space. However, CIS has no idea who the hell I am, but they were sending out emails up to two days, three days, I think, 
uh, before the event, giving tickets away in bulk to some lucky people. The first 25 people to respond to this code, blah, blah, blah. Thank you for our sponsor for actually purchasing these 25, 50 tickets or whatever to try to get some people in the door. I haven't gone around the event at all in terms of asking people who actually paid to attend this thing. But from what I understand, $500 for an attendance ticket, $5,000 for a, uh, a booth ticket. Um, chances are very few people actually spent that $500 to get in the door. I'm just saying. Another big loser this week is eToro. They're here at CIS, actually. And um, lo and behold, they um, partnered with the tie. And now this isn't me just show, throwing shade at the tie. I got my hands on their presentation for their long only or whatever portfolio about how they are manufacturing their trade strategy uh, around this portfolio that people can buy into through eToro utilizing ties, uh, artificial intelligence, whatever, around the number of tweets that an asset has. Um, and and they have the gall to call that sentiment data. Now, I, I, don't know, I don't know how many people actually pay attention to business intelligence currently. I, how many of our viewers are in the business intelligence realm? Um, or how many books anybody's ever read on this stuff, or how many Wikipedia articles anybody's ever read on psychograph and, and, and demographic information and consumer trend analysis and what sentiment actually is made of. But it's certainly the hell is not the number of tweets. They have to sift through by their own account on their presentation, 850 million tweets all the time, like every day, I guess. And 90% of those are absolute garbage, which they admit to inside of their deck. Okay, cool. So 10% of 850 million of their firehose tweets, huge numbers, really impressive. Give them basically an opportunity to do natural language processing to indicate whether or not something is bullish or bearish. Now, another one of our losers for the week is Lunar Crush, where I actually corroborated some of their evidence about the bullishness or bearishness over the NLP status of some of the tweets. And I shit you not, on their little scrolly bit, right there on their dashboard, they had a giveaway tweet for LTC where it was like basically just some shill campaign to get more followers being flagged as bullish for LTC. Because it didn't actually have any overt negative language in it. It was follow and share and enjoy the LTC foundation, blah, 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 for a giveaway of a set of steak knives, right? And that's not sentiment. What sentiment data actually is, and here I'm gonna get, if, if, if somebody can give somebody at the tie a call real quick and just have them chime into the next 30 seconds of this episode, maybe somebody from Lunar Crush can dial it into what sentiment data is. I'll wait, you can grab your pen and paper, it's fine. Okay, cool, you ready? Okay, let's get this done. Sentiment data is action taken from knowledge that's consumed by the people. The retail market reads something, Cool, it could change their mood about it, but until they act on it, it's not sentiment data. I know it's really complex, right? So what we have at Sync, for example, is gobs and gobs of statistical buckets, meaning we don't need the fire hose because we understand statistics. You take buckets of statistics and you apply trend analysis to it on here's what was being said and how it was being said and the conversations that were resonating with consumers in this period of time, and this is how they acted on that knowledge. That's sentiment data. That concludes our diatribe for the moment. And I'm not actually at CIS, I was there yesterday. This is a green screen. Let me go ahead and get situated for the live event. I pre-recorded this for the ambiance. Stay tuned.
Yeah, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Live from CIS, not really. I recorded that about 20 minutes ago right here from the comfort of my own home office. Because I felt that if I talked even more crap about the sentiment data people that were actually like on the floor, that I'd be escorted out by the security. Inadvertently yesterday, I had myself a little bit of a discussion with the Lunar Crush individuals, wherein I did not mean to. However, I basically took a squat and a giant crap all over their business model. And it's unfortunate because they're actually trying to do some decent work there. But, um, well, uh, about that, it's not really useful. It's statistically irrelevant. And the machine learning or, or artificial intelligence scoring algorithms that they have against their assets, like seriously, they think that LTC is the same as BTC in terms of its asset, has, asset health classification model. Now, I'm not using the KYC show to completely shill and crap on the competitors in the space for the data analytics arena. However, the tie and Lunar Crush and Santiment and Cinderella and bullshit and Craig Wright, honest to God, oh gosh, there we go. Honest to God, if you're going to tout data analytics in the cryptocurrency markets for the love of all that is holy, do it right. You look like a goddamn joke. A joke, flat out. We target real asshole, uh, uh, assholes in the space all the time that scam people. I mean, on Yavin last week was on our show talking about how bullshit some of these ICOs are and all these projects are. That apparently the data analytics industry associated to crypto markets is not any different. And with a fancy deck with enough buzzwords thrown at it, you can get partnerships with you know, exchange wallets that hardly anybody uses. Sorry, Etor, but honestly, no one cares that you exist. Um, and it's just, it's devastating to me and it pisses me off, mainly because I spent my life's work making sure that there was integrity in what we deliver to people because this is people's money. Like, I don't care how rich you are, how poor you are, if you're getting into crypto and you want to know some information and you go to the tie for it, you're fucked. And it's upsetting. Absolutely upsetting. <sighs> Anyways, I, I, I said I was going to drop it and I was just going to get right into the interview with Nick Mancini sitting down with Quantrek, but I just couldn't do it. It's just chapping my ass. I'm like, ugh. Okay, I need to calm down. I'm very excited for this interview. Uh, Quantrek, Billy Badass, Nick Mancini crushing it out there doing his thing. Um, and I'm, uh, I'm just going to bring up the title slide. We're going to get the party started and we'll come back with a little bit of market insights in terms of market cap and how things are trading and what sync is seeing for the future of Bitcoin right after the interview. So stay tuned for that. But kids gather around the campfire. The hot seat is upon you. Hello, everybody. This is the hot seat uh, for the Know Your Crypto podcast. And today we have Alex Massioli of Quantrek and institutionaldigitalassets.com. He is the founder of both. Uh, he and I met at Coinvention a while back in the Philadelphia area. We hit it off very well. Two Italian guys that are loud and like to laugh and have fun. Uh, and uh, lo and behold, he is uh, in, in a little bit of everything as it, when it happens in the institutional 
fun space. Uh, there, it's, you'd be hard-pressed to find someone that he does not know. Uh, and I felt it would be a great uh, way to kind of dig into the institutional, the fund side of crypto that uh, sometimes we forget to look at and, uh, and see what's happening in the market. So thank you very much, Alex. Uh, happy to have you. Um, oh, you wanna... Thank you for having me, Nick. Appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, do you want to go ahead and dig into, you know, um, who you are and, uh, you know, what Quantrek is uh, and uh, also what institutionaldigitalassets.com is? Yeah, sure. So Quantrek Capital Markets, um, we launched about two years ago now. <clears throat> we were, uh, uh, were a carve out of a traditional hedge fund and private equity uh, service provider firm uh, up here in New York. Um, and our goal and mission was to be 100% digital asset focused uh, in the capacity of the institutional capital market space. So um, everything from fund administration to prime brokerage, portfolio margining, uh, and the sorts. Um, and that's really been our core focus over the last couple of years. We uh, recently launched uh, institutionaldigitalassets.com, uh, which is an educational platform for both uh, institutional investors, uh, sovereign wealth funds, uh, high net worth family offices and individuals, um, as well as for crypto fund managers. So it, it really uh, educates them, empowers them um, on the information and the tools they need <clears throat> in order to uh, enter this uh, new revolution of a market we call uh, crypto and digital assets. Nice, and I think that's I think that's very much needed. Um, and I think if you kind of look, you know, in in this in the history of the space, um, you know, uh, up until very recently, this has kind of been an explosion uh, in terms of growth on, on your side of things. I know crypto is very retail. You know, the governments weren't a big fan, everyone was kind of doing everything under the table. And now that the government is starting to cooperate with companies and investors um, and fund managers, it's, it's becoming a little bit more manageable and understandable. So when did you dive into this and kind of get Quantrek off the ground and kind of what was the, what was the spark uh, for you that kind of said, uh, where you said, I wanna go and do this full time? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was, it was, it was really a, a, a non-entity. Uh, going back, let's say, four years ago, obviously the first time I heard of Bitcoin was during uh, the Mt. Gox debacle that happened uh, 2013, 2014, um, but I paid no mind to it. Uh, then we were approached by a large uh, uh, individual um, BTC holder uh, and a fund manager who uh, were starting this this Bitcoin uh, algo uh, fund. and. Um, uh, you know, I, I, we kind of reached out uh, back to them and said, listen, we'll, we'll take you on and administer this fund for you. Uh, but really, you know, at the same time, we want to get educated about the space and see if, if it's an opportunity in, the, uh, in, in our products and our business to, to get, get into. Um, so we did that through the whole course of 2017. Um, we learned a lot. Uh, and then Q4 2017, we really put together a program uh, to launch into the market commercially, and that's when we formed Quantrek Capital Markets um, and did that. And uh, right away, um, I, we, within the first two weeks, we got our first fund client, a rather large one out of Asia, uh, and then it snowball affected from there. Nice. And I think, you know, from our conversations, you are kind of now, you know, that Quantrek is 
very sturdy and stable and you've got a, plenty of clients going and your switches or your focus is switched a little bit into the education and, and teaching others. And is that, did that kind of lead to where, uh, you know, institutional digit institutional digital assets.com came from kind of, you, you know, we've done all this, we've helped so many people. Uh, I've gotten so many questions. I've written the playbook. Uh, now yeah. I want to kind of go out and, and spread, spread the wealth of knowledge, uh, beyond just myself and my clients. Is that kind of how it happened for you? And that's really how it's always been. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it was like that from uh, client number one. Um, and it, it's we found ourselves really every time we picked up the phone or we were writing an email in response to a client, it was about it was educating them in, in one capacity or another. Um, and so after you know a year and a half, we, we decided we said, let's let's just formalize this. Um, we had inbound uh, emails and phone calls um, after our first six months from uh, the investor side of things, uh, corporate pensions, endowments. Um, and so we really wanted to kind of do it justice for both them and for uh, traditional fund managers looking to enter the space and kind of really formalize the education um, and, and keep them out of the noise and, and distractions of the space. What would you say has been the most difficult hurdle so far in dealing with, you know, getting funds set up, dealing with clients, dealing with the, the red tape and the confusion that the SEC and CFTC can sometimes bring? Is there is there one thing? Is, is there many? Uh, are you even allowed to talk about that? I'd love to hear kind of uh, your thoughts in, in terms of the difficulties you've faced in your industry. Yeah, yeah there's been uh, a number of hurdles, a number of roadblocks. Um, it's still, uh, I'd say number one is the fragmentation of the market, the counterparties in this space. Um, that's been around since day one. Uh, so, you know, it, it's not like the traditional side where they'll get their legal, their admin, their prime broker and call it a day here. It's dealing with multiple counterparties, whether it's custodial, exchange, OTC, um, et cetera. And so that's very time consuming. And also a lot of the uh, uh, counterparties in the space, including us at times, are just not coped to deal with um, certain uh, spikes in traffic. And so the customer service sometimes uh, lacks from a response standpoint. And, um, you know, as far as regulatory stuff is concerned, I think on the crypto fund managers, uh, side of it, the, you know, we've had managers who were trading on exchanges and then those exchanges pulled out of New York. So they would have to, you know, leave those exchanges as part of their strategy. And, and that would upset things within their portfolio or, you know, for instance, they were trading on Binance and then all of a sudden Binance kicked off U.S. customers and Binance U.S. came up a little later afterwards. But um, those are probably the worst of the hurdles. Not so bad. Um, at least not like ICO uh, projects have, but um, uh, distracting nonetheless. Yeah. So I think I think we've noticed a bit of the bit of the same, and I think especially when there's a lot of moving parts, and you don't exactly know if the counterparty is going to either do what they say or is even allowed to do what they say, it creates sure. a level of distrust, and it's tough to overcome. So I think. Building off of that kind of theme of, you know, the difference between what you were saying is the institutional side, the, the kind of the, the traditional finance side um, and the current crypto side, you know, what are some of the, you know, starch differences that you're seeing and, and what do you think crypto can do to kind of mirror uh, traditional finance, but also build off of it? Because I think 
crypto doesn't want to be traditional finance, but it obviously has to take a couple plays out of that playbook to be taken seriously and for the growth to happen that everyone needs to continue to, um, you know, be successful in the industry. What are, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, you know, for us, it's the architecture uh, and the processes are the same as traditional. Um, you know, it's not an overly complicated uh, space to enter into if you're if you're transitioning from traditional to crypto. Um, you know, you're taking the same steps, albeit uh, with different people. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, our goal is, and, and going back to the education, is really just to make those portfolio managers, those GPs, feel uh, as comfortable as they were when they were on the traditional side, and, and show them. I mean, it's you know, the space from an institutional standpoint is just correlating everything that you've done on the traditional side and equating it to the same thing with different instruments or, or slightly different processes on the digital side. And, and once they gain that understanding and, and kind of get comfortable with it, they, they see where that logic is. It's, it's, it's not reinventing the wheel. Yeah, I would agree. And I think it's kind of, I think one of the more difficult things is, is, you know, you've got this anarchist kind of crypto, it, it hates banks and banks hate crypto. But at the end of the day, you've got to work together to some degree to be successful long term. I don't think you're going to get this oil and water thing uh, for very long. And I don't think it's going to be, it's not helpful to anybody. So um, building off of that, uh, you know, you and I have had some, some conversations about, uh, let's say, crypto Twitter. Uh, and kind of just the the air of um, professionalism that is sometimes lacking in the space. And I think it builds off of some people don't want to be that professional, but at the end of the day, you, you need you need to work with people. So, you know, what is your suggestion to crypto or to some of the some of the more boisterous personalities? Uh, and, and what are your thoughts around how they can kind of we can begin working together better and uh, be taken a little bit more seriously to the. Uh, the CFTCs, the SECs, the the Feds, and, and the whole lot of them. Yeah, I, I mean, I have a strong opinion on crypto Twitter, uh, <laughs> you know, on the asset management side. I think it's, uh, you know, it, it sometimes resembles a backyard uh, school brawl at times. And, um, I, you know, with with everybody jumping up and down going, hey, when is there going to be institutional adoption? Why, why isn't it uh, been a prolific rise in it into the market from from the little that there has been? Uh, it, it really goes, I, I think, you know, you look at crypto Twitter and some of the arguments and some of the language and some of the uh, fighting between people that we all know. I mean, it's it's, you know, it's all between uh, quote-unquote crypto celebrities uh, and whatnot, all the people that speak at the conferences. And you have to put yourself into uh, an institutional investor's point of, you know, shoes. Let's say, you know, you're running, uh, you're a CIO on a, on a pension fund or uh, you're managing money for a, for a large family office. You, all you have to do is take one look at crypto Twitter sometimes and it'll give you reason enough why you wouldn't write a check into that space with, the, with that type of behavior. Um, so I do think it's detrimental. And, um, you know, I'm not saying that on the traditional side, you don't have hedge fund managers, uh, particularly high profile ones that go after each other, but they do it in, in more of a quiet way. You know, there's, they're definitely not dropping curses. Uh, they're, they're not making um, irrational remarks that are, are grotesque, uh, but they're handling themselves a little bit differently. 
it's it's such a public forum that it, there's really no upside to getting into those kind of antics. Yeah. I think that on one side, you know, you can argue, well, crypto is so decentralized and it takes community and Twitter makes a big difference. But I think on the other side, you can say you don't need to be bickering publicly. Like you don't need to be bad mouthing each other. You don't need to be dropping F-bombs on Twitter and, and getting just to get the reaction or just to prove a point. I mean, if you really want to prove the point, either go out and do what you say you can do better than the other person or, you know, um, handle it privately so that the entire world doesn't need to see that. Now, the Craig Wrights of the world, I think they, they deserve a little bit of the, the bad mouth thing. Maybe not as much, but, um, you know, there's a, that's there's a, a different story. That's a different yeah. story. Yeah, I think there's a there's a time and a place, I think, is one of the big things. So, in, in the, you know, on the institutional side, you, you know, you're an asset manager and you're looking for, you know, a pension to write your check. You're a fiduciary and you're responsible for people's money. And a majority of that institutional money is being allocated that would be allocated to you is the money of whether it's people's retirement funds or, or other needed uh, savings investing plans. It's it's not treated lightly. So uh, I think the maturity aspect needs to dictate what managers' roles and responsibilities are and how important uh, they're being relied on uh, to drive alpha and not put out uh, podcasts or 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 be a Twitter celebrity or, or something like that. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And and building off of this kind of this theme, um, in terms of the the crypto products that have that have been that are trying to be pushed through, such as the ETFs, is probably one of the biggest ones. And this is a this is a huge kind of hurdle that the industry is yet to overcome. Bitwise was just recently denied again. Will obviously sure. refile, but do you see kind of a parallel here between this lack of professionalism and how kind of the I don't want to say bigwigs, but how you know some of the people that can actually push legislation and products through? Do you kind of see that as a as a bane to uh, pushing you know ETFs and, and 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 regulated products through, or do you think do you see those as two completely different issues that the crypto market currently faces? I think it, I think it may factor in, in in a small part of the total equation. Um, I think in in the case of uh, you know ETF approvals, um, the regulators had some great comments uh, after the bitwise denial um, on what they on on why they felt that it shouldn't get approved. Um, at the same time, I see the other uh, side of that coin, which is uh, how that product would help. Um, one, I think, with, with certain adoption uh, into the space, um, but I, I, I think it's it's a it's a value add rather than a negative, um, and I, I think it'll come. I don't think it's going to come for you know, let's say in the next year or so. I think there's a lot of work to be done, but you have a lot of these folks, whether it's Bandneck, Bitwise. I mean, they're smart people. Uh, they they have a, a good bank account. They pay uh, good people to be surrounded by. Um, who know the regulators and speak to the regulators. And so at the end of the day, I think it's it's a bunch of grown-ups in a room that are uh, deciding it. Um, so I don't think things like the crypto Twitter and, and stuff plays too an important role uh, in those decision processes. Interesting. So building off of that, um, you know, in terms of the VanEck and the Bitwise ETFs, you know, what are, what are some of the things that you've seen? I, I mean, I'm sure if you're, if you're not tracking them, you know, feel free to not answer, but if you are, what are some of the things that you've seen that kind of need to improve either in the market or on the product side 
to actually get those pushed through because I, I do agree with you and I do think, you know, it's been very rushed and it's been kind of a big thing that everyone's paying attention to. It's not the most important thing in the space. But it is when it is said and done, it will be a you know a big hurdle that no one ever has to worry about, and there is the ability for people to kind of get on the the quote unquote crypto train um, without a lot of the the difficulty. So, what do you see as kind of some of the big things that these the Vanex and the Bitwises need to really work on? Is it custodianship? Is it risk? Is it structure? Is it counterparties? You know, what are what are your thoughts? I don't think it. Um... I don't think it's so much that, and and to be quite frank, I, I don't know what goes on uh, within the halls of the Van X of the world um, and, and the Bitwises and and whatnot. Um, I, I you know to your point, I don't. It's not a product that's going to uh, create this huge uh, comet impacting um, change in the marketplace. Uh, but what it will do is it'll set a milestone to another instrument being created, another another uh, grown-up tool in the kit uh, for the institutional side at least. And I think from the adoption standpoint of view, it'll allow uh, retail clients who um, you know don't, don't have the time or this is not their full-time job to have exposure to the asset class in, in some way, uh, just like um, uh, uh, Grayscale. But I think, um, I think I think it's a milestone in regard to uh, in regard to just having another um, traditional style instrument in the marketplace. Um, so I, I, it's just not a big deal from from a market impact standpoint of view as far as uh, controlling volatility or or anything like that. I agree. I think I think a full year ago it would have made a huge difference, but now with the the saturation of news and the ups and downs that the market is signaling, I don't think it's as significant as it would be. I mean, uh, to kind of switch over to a different style product that was supposed to make big waves, balked. Um, we saw you know the market went you know south uh, as soon as that happened. We we kind of predicted that, and obviously last time futures were announced, market tanked a little bit, but. Um, Box was a, a big hyped thing, and, and obviously the most significant aspect of it was physically settled Bitcoin futures. And you can say, I mean, there, there's an argument on is that cool, is that significant, I, you know, but at the end of the day, it is a milestone. So, um, yeah. you know, and we've seen a little bit of a slow growth from Box. So, in your opinion, um, I think that's and, okay. and in term, in term, are you bullish or are you bearish on Bakht and what that represents for the growth of the the futures market, or do you think this is just another drop in the bucket, kind of long term? Um, no, I'm, I'm I'm extremely bullish uh, on Bakht, and I think that having uh, physically settled uh, contracts like what they brought to market is is extremely important. Um, one, uh, <clears throat> I think that the adoption of being as digitally native as possible uh, within the institutional ecosystem um, when you're managing crypto is is going to become very extremely important. We've seen that for the last two years from our funds in Asia, uh, you know, um, going outside, whether it's for one reason or another, you know, having a digital universe in order to uh, do their business and their asset management it is important. I think this just adds another one of those great features to the marketplace. As far as growth is concerned, I, you know, I'm, I'm glad they weren't uh, uninvaded. I'm glad it's been uh, a slow drip and it'll grow and grow into a snowball effect. 
Um, it lets them uh, you know, shake out any of the processes that uh, may have some gaps in it um, in the marketplace, which is really, really important. Um, and I think they're they're really trying to build themselves as a, as a as one of the leading trusted platforms in the space. I think over time, I think over the next quarter, two quarters, you're going to see uh, volumes grow. Unbox uh, as people see the significance of of being digital native and taking that physical delivery. I completely agree. I think uh, I think you know short term, uh, you know, market sees it as bearish, but I think long term, once the contracts actually start to fill, more clients come on board, it's going to be. Uh, explosive for sure. And talking about crypto Twitter, I mean, after the first 24 hours of of, of uh, bot being opened, uh, they were getting absolutely panned yeah. uh, on the internet. And I, I don't think that's a fair snapshot to, to make those assessments of. No, I agree. And it's a lot of the retail market misunderstanding exactly what a lot of these developments mean. And I think some, there's a there's a huge disconnect. And I think it, it you know relates back to that theme of professionalism versus non-professionalism. Um, sure. So to build out last and final question, um, you know, really heavy hitter here. What is uh, what is it going to take to get to the market to get the market back to a one trillion dollar market cap? Um, you know, we're sitting at, you know, low 200 billion right now. And obviously, the you know, after the big 2017, 28, early 2018 boom, um, everyone's kind of, you know, sitting on the edge of their seats waiting for this. What do you think is going to be kind of the catalyst that really sparks the next bull run that gets us to that? Amount? Do you think it's just cyclical? It's just going to happen, or do you think there's a development on the way that may kind of be the spark in the powder keg? I don't, I don't think. Uh, I don't think I get. You know, from I, I can't pin it on one thing. If I had to call that, uh, that's going to be a catalyst to drive it over the edge to trillion dollar market cap. Um, I think that what has happened, uh, particularly over the last thirty six months, um, when when fund managers and institutions uh, start to take a look at it um, is that the market's been shaking itself out and I think that you're going to see a lot of these uh, altcoins uh, fall by the wayside um, it's going to create more of a, of a core solid product offering um, on the trading side I think you know between various companies whether like Securitize and Polymath you're seeing more and more with each quarter clients uh, tokenizing whether it's in real estate or in funds or hopefully soon in equities on a, on a large scale um, i think you're going to see a lot of the uh, security tokens enter the trading regime um, alongside the major crypto players uh, and i think that in itself is bringing stability i think adoption is coming i think it's just coming uh, at a slower pace than everybody wants um, but in turn, I think the market will increase from there. Um, and, you know, don't forget, we have a halving uh, next May. Uh, so uh, I think some scarcity will drive some pricing up. Um, if we look back at historicals, uh, that might be a, a, the next stepping stone for a large um, uh, leap market value. Um, so, but I, I, think, I think over the next 24 to 36 months, uh, I think it's it's a market to be watched. I think that's where it's going to come into its uh, shoes, so to speak. I completely agree. Um, it's tough to pin, you know, obviously, you know, none of us are sitting here with a magic crystal ball. I mean, we may have a little slight, a slight one that uh, can go a little bit in the future. But uh, if you're talking, you know, six to 12 months down the road, uh, it's a tough call. But I think the having's a big one. And I think just maturity is another big one. Um, people underestimate, you know, retail players, will dive in headfirst at the the sniff of you know a gold mine 
Um, but the institutional players, the, the smart money, will sit back and wait and wait for the good opportunity. They're not going to see a 2x and dive all the way in. They're going to wait for the cycles to happen and for predictability and for understanding of what, what's going on in the market. And obviously, the counterparty trust is, is this guy that I'm buying it from or the guy that's facilitating this transaction. They want to see Can what the long-term roadmap's going to be. Yes. They don't want to see what the 12-month roadmap is. You know, They don't want it to go poof into thin air. Exactly. Um, they're managing people's money. Yeah. And it's not a short-term game, you know. You want you want to make sure it's going to be around for another thirty-six months, and that you're not going to get screwed. So, um, absolutely, I agree. Certainly. Well, um, that was a very riveting conversation. Uh, I think you know our guests are going to love this on the live show. Uh, we I appreciate you very much coming on, Alex. Um, and uh, final final thought is, you know, where can how can people get involved with you know your educational side or, or learn a little bit more about yourself and uh, what you do in the industry. Sure, absolutely. I mean, uh, anybody can find me at Alex Massioli uh, on Twitter, um, and then as well as institutionaldigitalassets.com, which is our educational platform uh, for institutional investors and fund managers uh, launching this month. Nice. And if you are a fund and you're looking to get jump started, um, you know, visit Quantrek. Uh, is it .com or .io? Uh, yeah, Quantrek.io. Visit that. Uh, give his team a ring. You know, if you're interested in kind of getting a little bit more on the professional side and taking your game to the next level. So uh, thank you very much, Alex. We appreciate it. And hopefully we'll have you on for another show in the future. There it is. The interview with Alex from Quantrek, hanging out, having a good time with Mr. Nick Mancini, talking about that financial institutions and what it's going to take for the real professionals with the deep pockets to show up into the space of scale. And also dipping into a little bit of the toes about the market cap of the cryptocurrency markets, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit of a second. And where Bitcoin is going, Nick did say crystal ball, which is great because we have one of those. We've been doing some testing with our trading against the data that we have on the sync platform and almost to the point where we're printing money. Good times. Sync.tech, check it out. Um, that's my shill. That's as far as it goes. BTC, the future is grim or bright if you're into the short side of things. Very short term, um, within the next couple of hours, there is a possibility for a bounce up beyond the 8K just to strain the market on some wicks. And these trend analysis pieces that we have, these projections that we have that would say a bump to say, for example, $8,200 or whatever, right, um, would be what you would call a short squeeze. We've seen it time and again where a wick will just fire up on a five-minute candle to an $8,200 marker at this point from 79 to 82, psychological barrier broken, blah, 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 Pay, play off some random MA somewhere, wick up, kill shorts, stop people out, and then the market shorts to where we're expecting it to go $7,790. Right now, the overall market cap of the cryptocurrency space is $217 billion. Far cry from its ATH. But here's a fun little tidbit of information about statistics for you. BTC dominance, right? 66.4%. The number of cryptocurrencies being tracked by CoinMarketCap right now is almost 3,000. Okay, 
2017, there wasn't even 2,000 in the space. So we've added 33% to that bucket of laundry list of shit coins that are actually happening on the cryptocurrency market right now. And the elevation of the BTC dominance has gone from 48% to 51% to now 66%, topping out, I think, at 70% with a thousand more altcoins in the space. Just to show you how the amplitude of scale of dominance can't just be the raw number of BTC dominance, but it's also the number of cryptocurrencies that it's fighting against. Basically, 2,988 cryptocurrencies versus Bitcoin. One, right? That ratio is phenomenal, especially when you're talking about the BTC total trading volume dominance in the space being 66.4%. It's why we talk about Bitcoin at a constant, right? It's not that alt season can't happen for a few select alts. Monero is up 5.4% on the day. Hold on. Slow clap for Monero, right? But the other alts that we're looking at, Dash, which, by the way, is on the Thai's portfolio for their sentiment AI, whatever, uh, down 4.79% on the day and looking trash, $68 per asset right now. Not too bad. I mean, it's still it's worth more than Tron, which notably is worth 1.5 cents. Um, but I'm whatever. I'm not going to go down that road too much. Um, one of the things that I did really appreciate about the interview, and not to toot our own horn on having stuff, but it was different. I went to a number of talks yesterday at CIS, and everything was the same. It sounded like everybody was standing around in a circle, and their little auditorium chairs is going high. My name is David Hoverman, and I'm a recovering cryptoholic. And they were preaching the same damn thing to the same damn people in the same damn way over and over and over again. It's a decentralized revolution that democratizes the custodianship of value. I just summarized the entirety of CIS. This is a problem. People need to start challenging the status quo. People need to start bringing it hard for real. If you want to start being taken seriously in the space and stop touting your horn like you're hoping that if you speak enough, Burning Man will become less commercialized and more about freedom. That's what it feels like with the cryptocurrency market right now. Call it what it is. Capitulated. Pre-adoption. Early. Pioneering. Important. Sure. But you don't need to keep beating the same damn drum that everybody already knows. Point taken. Right now, giant pedophile website ring got broken up because feds were able to track Bitcoin payments for access to it to rise it from the dark web. Bring it into the, out of the shadows and into the light to have it shut down. More of that would be great, by the way. But stories like that are also what overshadow the validity of the space. And then they have to start taking a level of professionalism. It's going to be seen as a sandbox full of children that the rich people get to point at from afar while they deal with traditional markets and the ebbs and flows of recessionary cycles related to the GDP of the global economy. Crypto's tiny. Really tiny. $7.2 trillion a day are shoveled around the fintech world. Right? $218 billion is the market cap 
57 billion of that is trading volume. So that's 57 billion dollars daily on average or whatever. <sighs> Sorry about the connectivity issues, by the way. It happens sometimes. I'm working on it, I swear. But 57 billion dollars in crypto floating around through the ether. Who knows how much of that's real versus what you get in traditional markets. So yeah, we're kiddie pool stuff. If you want to stop being kiddie pool stuff and not rely on the downfall of Ecuador's economic structure to have the adoption of cryptocurrency take hold at scale, got to grow up. Got to grow up, got to start talking about real things and not celebrating the stupid in this space. The internet is infamous for making stupid people famous. Cardi B, Kim Kardashian, Justin's son, Craig Wright, Roger Veer, Ty Lopez. Celebrate the smart people like Tim Pace. He's smart. Love you, Tim. That's all for us this week. Tune in next week for more Know Your Crypto. I'm Enrique Gutierrez. Joined today by Nick Mancini, interviewing Alex from Quantrek. Check them out, Quantrek.io. Peace out and happy trading.